plan. And so, Lord, we're just so thankful. Help us to focus on what you've done that is good and not get focused on the things that are hurting, difficult, a struggle. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, many of us are facing hard things, uncertain things, things we don't know how it will work out. But we know you're good and that you have a plan. And Lord, we just pray that even over our nation, there's so much struggle and unrest and illness. And Lord, would your goodness flow through? Would more and more people look to you? Would you be the cause of healing in our land? And Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Welcome. Thank you for being with us here on this beautiful morning. Thank you at home for tuning in. And a couple of things coming up before we jump into the message. Next Sunday, we have a quarterly meeting as a church. We just check in four times a year. Uh, different ministry leaders get a report in. We talk about how's the finances, what's happening here and there. And so that's coming up next Sunday after our second service. That's at, uh, so it'll be about 1145. The meeting will start. Uh, you can be in person or we will air it on our website. That is northwest Church dot com slash meeting and so you can participate at home next saturday also is our next uh, outreach the grab and go breakfast this will be the this will be the third one and lynette our outreach deacon said between saturday one and saturday two there was a doubling of of community people stopping so it has increased already so this will be number three and the goal is just to let this Birchwood neighborhood know we love them. We're here. We partner with the Bridge Church. So it's two churches working together to serve this neighborhood. Uh, so Lynette, you can talk to her. You can go to our website on northwest-church.com slash service. And there's a link for grab and go. If you want to know more about it, you want to be a part of it, or be praying next Saturday morning that our neighborhood here would know that we love them. All right. This, um, this morning, we're going to start with this idea of surprising trust have you ever had somebody entrust you with something hand you something and you were a little bit surprised they did it you know, I, i'm not quite sure i'm ready for that i don't know if you've ever had that happen but i remember years ago i had a my grandpa the house he lived at backed up to a wooded area so it was trees and kind of forest and there's a gap before the next neighborhood started and whenever a big storm came, a lot of times trees would come down. So he had some trees down, and I was maybe 12 or 13. And he said, come on over and help me cut up these trees, buck them up, split them, stack it. And I was like, okay, I'm going over there to help him. Well, then he, uh, he just hands me the chainsaw. Like, here you go. You're going to cut up these trees. <laughs> I've never used the chainsaw before. You realize there's a giant chain that goes fast, right, with some really gnarly-looking teeth. Yeah, here you go. Like, start chanting. And I'd never done it before. So he's like, just don't stick it in the dirt. Okay. You know, there's, it's a little scary. You know, here you go. And the truth is the chain does not know the difference between a log or your leg. So you've got to be on that baby. But he just handed it to me. And I still have my leg. So it worked out. But uh, I just remember thinking, like, should he be handing this to me? Should I have a chainsaw? Should this be in my hand? I'm 13. Don't get any ideas, kid. Uh, but I just remember thinking, that's an overwhelming, that's, that's, a, that's a surprising trust. I'm surprised he entrusts that to me. 
And today we're going to look at this story where I'm surprised what Jesus entrusts to his followers. I'm surprised what he hands us. It's not really a chainsaw, but he hands us this massive opportunity to share the gospel with the world. He, he gives us that. So I, I want to look at that. And we're in the second week kind of following Easter. We're looking at what Jesus commanded. And I want us to look at, at the surprising trust that he does. So we, we were looking in Matthew. If you want to open Matthew chapter 28 today and just keep your finger in there because we're going to go back and forth in that today. But it, this is right after Jesus is raised and he gives some final instructions to his disciples. And we're looking at this in two parts. We saw some last week and some this week. But I want to see this surprising trust that he's given us. So it's in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus got his disciples gathered. He's risen from the dead. And, um, and, I, and this is what he says. And we focused on this a lot last week. He said, all authority, or, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I want to pick up from there and, um, and look at, last week we looked all about this, that Jesus is overall, his name reigns above all. There's no one above him. He's above all. He is authority in heaven and on earth. And so if you keep, keep your finger in that Matthew spot, and where we were last week was in Daniel 7. I just want to pick the story up from there. So if you go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, it was this vision that happened hundreds of years before Jesus came that Daniel got this vision of this announcement of a son of man that will have dominion over all. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. If you go back to Daniel, we did this last week more in depth. We see the vision where this was foretold. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, was the vision Daniel saw of this happening. So Daniel 7, verse 13, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, but a human-looking one. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so this vision was presented among all these other nations and kingdoms that will rise and fall, but in heaven... This son of man is the one that will reign with a forever kingdom. And Jesus is the son of man. So when he's raised, he says, all authority has been given to me. I fulfilled this Daniel vision. I have eternal reign and an eternal kingdom and nothing will take it away. Now, if you drop all the way down to verse 27, in Daniel 7, verse 27, it explains a little more about this kingdom. If you go down to verse 27... It says, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions, plural, shall serve and obey him. So there's this image of this one that's going to reign forever and be king forever and have a dominion forever. And then it said, and that kingdom's not going to be empty. It's going to be given to the people of the saints. It's going to be given to all the people from all the dominions, from all the kingdoms. All will come to him. 
So there is this eternal kingdom, and Jesus says, all authority is mine. My kingdom goes on forever. I'm the one raised from the dead. And in my kingdom, it's going to be filled with the saints, the people, the holy ones, forever. So how do all these people get into this kingdom that Jesus is going to have forever? How do all these dominions, how do they get there? Okay, go back to Matthew. Go back to me. I just want to set that up. All authority. And he said, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. Oh, you're going to do it. I'm not handing you a chainsaw. <laughs> I'm handing you the opportunity to fill my eternal kingdom with more and more disciples. How are the people going to get there? Well, you're going to tell them. Are you sure? Have you seen me? Right? Some of you are like, I couldn't find my car keys today. You're going to put me in charge of peoples and help, I'm supposed to do this? Yeah, you'll be fine. It'll work. I'll be with you. Don't worry. He's entrusting that to us. He's entrusting that to us. He's saying, I'm going to fill a kingdom forever, and it'll be filled with people from all nations, and you're going to do it. I'm going to trust you with that. Let me show you one more verse before we keep. Don't lose the Matthew one, because that's our home base today. But I want you to see this as a trust. If you look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it describes this trust that we've been given. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And this describes the trust. This describes this thing that is going to happen so that the kingdom that will reign forever, that will be filled with people, how do they get there? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's great news. When you come to Christ, it's not just that you have new information. You become a new person. The old you is gone. The new you has come. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Right? He fixed the relationship and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you see that? He said, I'm going to reconcile the world. I'm going to forgive their sins through Christ, and I want you to have the message. You're going to help fill the kingdom. You're going to take this. I'm entrusting you with this. Like suddenly the chainsaw doesn't sound so bad. Like, well, just, just give, I can cut wood. But the message of reconciliation, that the world can be reconciled to God, that their sins can be forgiven, yeah, you've got to take that. Right, you're, you're the one that's going to do it. You've been entrusted with this thing. So the point today is this. With Jesus' authority, we really focused on that last week. So if you missed last week, go back. With Jesus' authority, all nations are under him, all kingdoms, all powers, everything's under him. With his authority and with his presence, we saw that he said, I'm with you always. I never leave you. So with his authority and his presence, he says to go and make disciple makers. And we're going to see why some of you say, well, I thought it's just go make disciples. You're going to see they're actually disciple makers because it automatically has reproduction. It automatically has more and more and more. So that's what we're going to see today, that Jesus has entrusted us with this amazing message of reconciliation. He says, go make disciple makers. I want you to be a part of doing this. And we're with, under his authority and with his presence. So we're back in Matthew. That's our home base. Don't lose Matthew. 
Matthew, back, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the command. That's a command. That's an imperative. That's a, you must go and you must make disciples. Now, the first thing that struck me about this is that this is a continual pattern of God to want to work with humans to do his work, to want to entrust to us real live uh, responsibility, partnership, multiplication. This is always what he's been about. All right, so don't lose Matthew, but go all the way back to Genesis. If we go all the way back to Genesis, it's the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, we see that this is what God's, it's, he's always been about this. In Genesis 1, 27, Genesis 1 has this whole picture of God creating step by step by step. You know, it starts with darkness and this dark watery ball and he creates light and he creates an atmosphere and he creates the land and seas and birds and it gets, it's just growing animals and we get all the way down to Genesis 1, 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Look at the command, 28. And God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful and multiply. Right from the get-go, God says, I want you to increase, to multiply. I want more of you. Some might be like, you know what they do, right, God? You know how kids, and they make a mess. And Yeah, I want a lot of those. Are you sure? Yep, lots. Okay. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. So right, this is before any sin enters. Everything's perfect. He makes amazing earth. And he says, I want it filled. I want a huge human family. I want you to fill the earth. And then he says, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. Wait, doesn't God have dominion? Doesn't God reign over it? Isn't he the ruler of it all? He says, yeah, I'm sharing it with you. From the beginning of creation, God had a vision for multiplication. I want more of you, and I want to share dominion with you. I'm going to give you rulership. He, right, that's what he, I want you to be a part of it. Not to destroy the earth and mess it up, but to make it work. Harness it, grow things, use it, manage the resources well. Steward, it's a word you often hear. But from the beginning, he already had this mindset of, I want more of you, I want lots of you, and I want you to have a share in what I'm doing. If you just flip the page, or at least it's flip the page in my Bible, chapter 2 gives kind of a, Genesis 2 gives this dive in, and it talks about when God created man, he planted a beautiful garden. The Garden of Eden is full of just beauty and trees and rivers are described, but if you go to Genesis 2.15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to lay in the shade and be fed grapes. No. To work it and keep it. So he didn't say, I just want you to be a spoiled brat and lay around and be lazy and I'll feed you. I want you to be a part of this thing. I made a beautiful garden, but you're going to work it. You're going to prune it. You're going to plant things. You're going to harvest things. You're going to say, well, put this there and let's have this here and let's take care of that plant here and... And this was before weeds. He had a good. There's no weeds yet. That's part of the curse. I don't know if you read that. The weeds, if you read chapter 3, weeds are part of the curse. So if you were pulling any out yesterday, that's part of the curse. But uh, 
right? In these two places in the beginning, you see God's desire to work with a human family, to say, I want to partner with you. I want you to have real responsibility, real work, real tasks. It's not made up. Work's not bad. But it was this idea that God says, I want lots of you. I want a huge human family, and I want to rule with you. I want you to have real responsibility. I want you to work and keep and care for. And so it gets messed up by sin, and it gets all kinds of mess in the world. But you see, we saw in the book of Daniel, God says, I still have a plan to have a huge human family and a kingdom that reigns forever, and I want a whole lot of people in there. Why? Well, he's God, and he loves us. And you're like, well, I don't really like that many people. But God does. God does. He says, I want a huge human family, and I want you to help them get there. Not because he, he can't do it. It's not like he's like, well, I, don't, I don't really know how to get across the ocean, so I'm going to have to send you. It's not that he can't do it. He wants us to have meaningful, purposeful work. He wants to include us in what he's doing. He wants a huge human family that's going to be with him forever, and he wants us to have the trust of the ministry of reconciliation and it's always what he's been about it's what he's about at creation i want you to fill it i want you to subdue it i want you to work in it when everything gets broken with the fall he says i'm still gonna have a huge human family in my forever kingdom and you're gonna work with me to do it so when we come back to um, matthew that's what he says go make disciples i still have a vision for a huge human family that I want you to be a part of. So he says, go make disciples of all nations, all ethnic groups. That's the vision. So first of all, what is a disciple? If we're supposed to make them, what is them? What is that? So the word can mean a learner, a student. It can mean learning skills under instruction to learn by experience, right? I'm sure my grandpa could have sat down and drew a picture of how a chainsaw works, or he's like, put that on the log. Don't put your foot by it. Okay, I'm going to learn by experience. So that's the idea. Probably the best English word we have for it is apprentice, an apprentice. So someone who's learning underneath someone with the idea that then by the end of a set time period, you'll know how to do it. So if you're an electrician apprentice, you start in not knowing anything, and by the end of three years, you are now an electrician, right? That's your, or, or whatever the thing is. When I first came here, I was a youth intern. I worked under a youth pastor, and first he had me do things like, well, just go clean that up and make sure that kid doesn't fight that kid. Like, okay, and then eventually it was, you know, here's a little more, and now you're going to teach, and now you're going to be in charge of this, and pretty soon he moved away, and I was a youth pastor, right? But it was a long process. It wasn't just, I was learning by experience. And so that's what the idea is to make a disciple is to make apprentices of Jesus or people who learn by experience. Luke 6.40 says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher, will be like his teacher. So you want to become like them, not above them, so we want to become like Jesus, not like Jesus in the eternal reigning king that has dominion over everything, but we want to be like Jesus who lived the perfect human life. We want to emulate how he lived and how he walked and how he prayed and how he served and how he gave and how he sacrificed and how he obeyed. So we want to become Jesus' apprentice. 
And that, that's what a disciple is, someone who is going to apprentice under, learn from Jesus. See, we can do that by learning from other people who follow Jesus, but we don't have the same advantage that the actual disciples of Jesus did, who got up every day and, you know, we have, I don't know, a few days of his life recorded. They saw every hour, you know, they saw how does he brush his teeth? How does he roll the toothpaste, right? Whatever. They saw how does he talk to somebody? How does he, they saw everything, not just what he said. And so that is a little bit of a disadvantage to us. But if you look over in uh, John chapter 14, we get a sense of how do we apprentice under Jesus when we don't see him? And it's all about the Holy Spirit here. This is why this is so important. In John chapter 14, verse 15, John 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so there's this beautiful picture that the way that we can apprentice under Jesus is to really be in tune with his Holy Spirit. He is in you and will guide you and direct you. He's called the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus says in another place, he'll take what is mine and give it to you. He'll disclose it to you. He's the one that awakens the word. So one of the greatest ways we apprentice to Jesus is to be very tuned in with the spirit of Jesus who interprets the word of Jesus to us. So we need to be very tuned into the God's word. And then we need to connect to other people. Like you need to see how does another person further down the road live the life of Jesus. So we need to learn that and we need to experience it. A lot of our uh, English or Western world learning is simply knowledge, but we also need to see it. We need to be around other people. How do they live? How do they pray? How do they function? We need that experiential learning. So that's the key. A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus who apprentices under his word, under his spirit, and around other believers, around other people down the road. So in that Matthew passage, he says, go make disciples, go make apprentices, go make learners who will follow, who will do what Jesus does, whose aim is to be like their teacher, like their master. That's the target. So in this command, go make disciples of all nations. It literally means of every ethnic group. This is so important. We see just struggles all over our nation and racial tensions. The gospel is the solution to all of it. Right? The vision of God was for all nations, all people groups, every ethnic group he wants in his kingdom. And so we have this task to reach all nations, all people groups. God wants every one of them. If we're true gospel people, then we have a heart for every ethnic group. There's no divisions there. There were one people in, in God. And so this, we have the fuel and the formula that we would love this to sweep across our nation. And as people find Jesus, they'll realize, well, Jesus is for all nations. And, and there's no legislation that will heal that. It's the hearts that heal that. So this is our prayer for revival. So people will meet Jesus and it will not only cause them to be disciples, it begins to heal. It begins to heal. So we have all the fuel for healing 
and reconciliation in the gospel command of Jesus to make disciples of all nations, whether they're ones you're comfortable with or not or are familiar with or not. He wants them all. He wants them all. And it says that we are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We did this a couple weeks ago, had a few folks get up and get baptized. But I just love this picture of baptism being immersed, dipped into this life of Jesus. But it says it's a naming ceremony in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The, the Trinity, the triune God's name goes on you. Right? We, we live in a culture and a time that says you're just a product of chance. You're a random collection of cells. You're just a person. And no, no, no. You were created by God. You were redeemed by Christ. And when you come to him, he puts his name on you. He says, I want you not only to be in my kingdom, to be a, a disciple maker, and my name is on you. That means I've claimed you. I love you. I've got you. The, the name of the full triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit goes on you. Well, that's a beautiful thing, and he wants it for every nation. If there's any part of your heart that's going, ooh, I want that. Well, I would love you to talk to me. Say, yeah, I want to publicly announce that I'm with Jesus. I want that naming ceremony on me. I want to be a part of this. We'd be happy to baptize you. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So how do we apprentice someone? How do we help someone become like their teacher? How do we help someone become like Jesus? We teach them to observe. It means to keep or to guard. And a lot of times we struggle in the West because we just only want to teach people to know what Jesus commanded. Well, I know what he said, and I know the theological words, and I, and I know all these things, and you do need knowledge. But this word is much more to keep them, to guard them, to observe them, doesn't simply mean to know them. It really means to obey them, to put them into practice. So if we're going to make a disciple maker, if we're going to make an apprentice of Jesus, we have to teach people how to keep his commandments, how to, how to do them, not simply memorize them, but do them. This is really spelled out really well in the book of 1 John. It's almost in the very back of your Bible. 1 John chapter, what is it? Two, First John chapter 2. If you hit Revelation, you went too far. Back up a little bit. First John chapter 2 describes and uses some of the same language of disciple-making and apprentice-making and teaching them. If you go in First John chapter 2, verse 3. First John chapter 2, verse 3. He says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments, so there's a, an assurance there. So we know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So there's an assurance there. We know it. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see how that has more than just knowing what Jesus said? A lot of people know what Jesus says. A lot of, I have people tell me all the time, oh, I probably know the Bible better than you. Well, good for you, <laughs> right? But that's not the point, right? That's, Jesus says, I don't want you to know. This is not, you know, Bible jeopardy, you know. 
What is the ark? No, that's not the point. The point is to actually that becomes your life. Now, I don't want you to hear that and be like, oh, no, I'm not walking perfectly. I'm out. Because we don't earn our salvation. We don't earn God's favor. This is a sign or an evidence of it, right? He says, whoever says I know him ought to walk. And we try and we fail and we try and we trip and we try and we mess up. And that's the point is, is that our life is pointed towards walking more and more with Jesus. That's what it means. So we're teaching people to keep, to guard, to obey. And it'd be very basic when teaching people to pray, teaching people how to serve, teaching people, how do I read the Bible? Where do I start? Teaching people, how do I handle my finances? How do I function at work? How do I function at school? It's this lifelong process, but it's not just simply to know the commands. It's to observe them. It's to teach them. So that's what we're we're after, teaching people to observe, to keep, to put into practice, to walk. So disciple-making is is knowledge and obedience all put in together. Because you don't simply want electricians who know all the answers. You want them to actually have their hands go in there and hook the right wires up so when you hit the switch, your house doesn't burn down, right? That's important. We don't want people who just know answers about Jesus, but who could come along and say, I can help you with that. I could show you how this works. I could show you how to put this into practice in your life. So it starts with knowledge and gets into practice. So the key to this whole thing about being a disciple maker is in this command. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, which means the command he just said in verse 19, to go make disciples of all nations. There's an immediate reproduction there. So we're making disciple makers So a disciple is someone who begins to put into practice the commands of Jesus, including the command to go make disciples. It immediately has a a feedback loop of reproduction. And a lot of times people think you have to know all the answers. That you have, well, maybe after five years I could share some of my faith. Maybe after ten years I could show somebody. No, you could just show them what you know. Someone could come to Jesus one day and then that night be sharing that with their family and their family pray to know Jesus. And then they could come and someone would say, this is how you read this one chapter. And then they could go back to their family and say, this is how I was taught to read this chapter. You, you can immediately begin to show somebody. You don't have to know all the answers. You immediately can be making disciples. You immediately can become fruitful. You can immediately participate in this trust. And so it's this beautiful picture. That's why we say with Jesus, authority and presence, go make disciple makers, that there's this built-in plan that you're going to show somebody who can show somebody who can show somebody. And this is what he's entrusting us to do. So last week we saw that Jesus has all authority. He's going to reign forever. There's no one above him. And with that authority, he says, I want you to fill up my kingdom that goes forever. And I'm going to entrust you to do it. I'm going to entrust you the message of reconciliation. I'm going to entrust you to go teach people how to Become apprentices to me. I want you to apprentice to me. And I want you just to keep filling this place because for some reason, I want a whole lot of you there. He's just loving, gracious God. So let me give some practical um, applications to this. Right? It might seem a little heavy. but So I'll give you an overseas one and then we'll have a right here at home one. The ministry that I think has most impacted me and is doing this the most amazing around the world is called the Timothy Initiative. And so we had uh, David Nelms, he did a video service for us 
last year. He was here two years ago. And they're doing a project called A Church in Every Village. And they're targeting India and Nepal. Church in Every Village. And they have this amazing process where they make disciple makers who go into a village and lead a few people to Christ. And they become a small church or a micro church. And they train people to go the next village over. So they're in this massive process to map every village in India and Nepal, which is a lot. This is probably the largest population center in the world is right there. And they're finding out, is there a believer in that village? Is there a church in that village? Is there nothing in that village? And then they have this code and then they just like, okay, that needs that. And they just, they're sending people. They're doing this with multiple agencies. And so for 300 bucks a month, they can raise up a disciple-making church planner. So Northwest, we support them at $300 a month. So every month we're sending out one more church planner who will raise up someone who will raise up someone. So this is the latest report that I got in April that they have now planted 8,989 new churches. Does that, like I can't even get that number in my head. Now don't think this room, sanctuary, hundreds of people think somebody's back porch, somebody's break room at lunch, uh, you know, under somebody's tree in their backyard. They think 8, 12, 15 people gathered together, studying the scriptures, doing discovery Bible studies, learning to be apprentices. And then someone says, I think I need to go do this. And like, all right, you go to the next town over. And boom, they start one. So there's a church in every village. So they've done that. And I think it's just been a year. And that equals 114,126 new disciples in those two countries. That's a good use of $300 of our money a month, isn't it? Now, we're not the only ones contributing, but the cool thing is, is somebody gave them a million-dollar match. So all the giving that comes in up to a million bucks is matched. So when we're giving $300, we are really giving $600. So it's doubling that. So that's, it's amazing. So I'm so, I'm so thankful that we give to that, if there's anything stirring in your heart, you say, I want to give some money to disciple-making around the world, I could not recommend another ministry more highly to you than the Timothy Initiative. But the cool thing is, is it's not just India and Nepal. They've said, why don't we do this in the U.S.? So I've been part of a training of being a disciple-maker here. Like, well, we can teach people how to be disciple-makers in the U.S. We can do it here. So I've launched some training centers. Some of you have been in one. I currently have one. It's, it's version 3. So for those of you in the early versions, I am figuring it out better now. So thank you for stumbling forward with me. But we've got one going every Tuesday. This is part of what's been sending us to Sunset Pond and reaching out. But I wanted just to, to hear from Crystal. So Crystal, you want to come up here? Crystal is one of our disciple-makers. That is on, and she's going to tell you. I just want you to not hear from just me. Thank you. I'll go over here. She did wear her Chicago Bear mask to spite me because she's like, I'm in church, and I'm on the camera, and you can do nothing about it. Yes, so, I did. Yeah, yeah. So, Crystal, just tell us what's God been doing in your life the last year or so. Just start there. Well, a, over, a little over a year ago, I was kind of off God's path. And God spoke to me and just told me, Crystal, start reading your Bible, start praying, and um, let's get on God's path. And um, I heard about this training project, and um, I said, ooh, that sounds good. 
Did you know what you're getting into? I knew, I did, I was like, well, I could dedicate, you know, two or three weeks to do some class. <laughs> and that was in October, by the that way. That was in October. Yeah. And I was like, I could do that. And then I found out, well, it's like 10 months to a year. And I was like, oh, that's a lot. I could do that. Okay. So tell us, what are some of the things that really stood out to you that we've trained and learned how to do? Well, I've learned how to tell my testimony in about three minutes, which I've used multiple times. I've learned how to do the three circles, which is God's testimony in about three, four minutes, which I've used many times. And um, I've learned how to have a more productive prayer life and also a more productive devotional life. So it's been good. It's been good. Tell, what does it feel like to know that this God we're talking about that's filling his kingdom is using you, Crystal, to fill it? Well, if anybody would have asked me a year ago that I would be doing a Bible study in a park for homeless people, I would have laughed and said, me, not me. I'm worthless and I can't do anything. And now what? And now I'm like, I could do a Bible study anywhere. There you go. You want a Bible study? I'll do one in between services. There you go. You're going to be quick. <laughs> Tell us about the one you got, you've got a Discovery Bible study going with a friend. Tell us. I have a friend um, that is Mormon, and um, she's older, and um, I'm doing a Bible study in my home. And um, I just uh, started a Bible study with her a little over a month ago. And I'm just uh, hoping to uh, lead her to Christ. Amen. So could anybody do this? Is this like so hard and it's impossible and only? Anybody with, with a little bit of training could do a Bible study. You could just pick up a scripture, read some questions. And just with a little bit of familiarity, you could do it. I almost have the questions memorized. For, yes, for Discovery Bible Study. The Discovery Bible Study is simple. You, if you can read a piece of paper, you could do a Bible study. That will lead people to Christ. Well, Crystal, I want you to hear. I think you're doing awesome, and our church is very proud of you. So. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So that's real life. We're training, and my hope is um, several things. One, maybe this is a moment you're, you think, I need to make sure I know I'm a disciple of Jesus. So maybe, and you can simply do that today or talk to me after the service. Or uh, come up. Eric's going to be up here. You can be up here after this one, buddy. If you want to talk to Eric, he's willing to pray with you and talk to you today. And... Um, so you might say, I want to I make sure I follow Jesus. I'm his apprentice. Maybe you're saying, I want the naming ceremony. I want to be baptized. Please let me know. You can let me know in person. You can go to our website. There's a link at the bottom that just says responses, and baptism is one of those, northwest-church.com. Maybe you're saying, you know, I want to get, I want to be trained. I want to get going. I want to make disciples who I can start a discovery Bible study with, who might form a micro church, who are going to reach people further and further out. And it's not just India that will tell these stories. It'll be like, well, I've got a little discovery study going on my lunch break, and I've got one in my, my health club, and we've got one over. Anywhere this can happen. If the, we, we are looking to start another training center, and the people in my current training center are going to do it. They may or may not know that, but the whole point isn't for me to keep doing it. It's just to push this thing out. So if that's 
piquing your interest, I'd love to talk to you about getting trained and being part of the plan of God to fill his kingdom using us to do it. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for what you're doing here and around the world. We thank you that you want to use us, that you value us that much. Lord, we pray that we would see a healing reconciliation of people to you and people to one another in our nation. We pray for revival, Lord. We see things collapsing and caving and unrest and the love of many growing cold. And so we're asking for a wave of your gospel to move through our nation, that many would find the message of reconciliation would follow you. Use us to do it, Lord. Work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just want to give us a moment to respond. Um, think about all the ways that God could be calling you. Um, Lord, we just thank you that you've been faithful to our church. You are carrying us through an unusual season, Lord, and you've provided for us with people serving and people worshiping, and, and you've provided for us financially, and you've provided mission for us to do, and so we thank you for that. Thank you that you've been faithful to, to uh, fulfill your promise to reach the world, or the gospel is going out. More and more people are believing every day, and we thank you. Thank you that you're faithful to hear our prayers. Or thank you that you're faithful that you respond to each one. Maybe not always how we think, but you respond to each one. And so we thank you, Lord. You have been faithful. You are glorified. Even if we are faithless, you remain faithful. Increase our trust in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Welcome. It's great to have you here. Welcome at home. Thank you for tuning in with us this morning. And what amazing weather. Wow. I feel like we jumped to July. Reality will set in. Believe me, I'm aware. But uh, for now, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to love on it. A couple things coming up for us. Uh, next Sunday is our, our quarterly meeting. Our next quarterly meeting, we'll do it after this service. So approximately 1145. And so you can just stay in a quarterly meeting. We hear updates from leaders, from deacons, finances, and just check in where we are as a church. So we'll have that in person at 1145, also online. It will be at our website, northwest-church.com slash meeting, so you can participate from home as well. Next Saturday is our third of our grab-and-go breakfast. This is an outreach to this neighborhood that's been going on, and it's a partnership with the Bridge Church. So it's, it's really great to have two churches in this community saying, let's work together to reach out. And Lynette, our outreach deacon, told me that between breakfast one and two, the amount of people coming to it has doubled. So she was really encouraged that it was, it was increasing in, in awareness, and so uh, we're excited to see what happens. So that's this Saturday Go to our website to, if you want to get in on that, northwest-church.com slash service. There's a section there about getting involved. 
and if you want to be a part of that in some way. But it's just saying to this community, we're here, we love you, we're thinking about you, there's some people here that would love to share Jesus with you. It's been a great work to do there. So our, uh, our start for my message today is this thought that uh, you're getting entrusted with something surprising, a surprising trust. When someone puts something in your care and you're a little bit shocked that they would do that. I don't know if you've ever had that happen where there's been a surprising trust. But I remember when I was just a kid, maybe 12 or 13 years old, uh, my grandpa would have me come over and help him work in his property a little bit. And his yard backed up to kind of a, a green space or a forested space. So whenever there's a big windstorm, sometimes trees would come down. So he said, I want you to come over and we're going to cut up these trees that come down and, and st- uh, stack the wood and you're going to come help me do it. And I'm like, okay, sure. So I get over there and he, uh, he hands me the chainsaw. I'd never operated a chainsaw before. And they have a big chain that goes really fast if you've never operated one. So he's like, here you go. Start uh, bucking these logs up. I'm like, well, I've never done any of this. You sure you want me to do this? And he's like, yeah, figure it out. So uh, there I went. And I'll tell you, a chainsaw does not know the difference between a log and a leg, okay? Just doesn't know. So you can see, these are real, so I survived. But, uh, but I just was amazed. I, was, I think I was 12 or 13. I was amazed. You're, you're going to give me that? You're going to trust me with that? You know what could happen with that? And he's like, yep, here you go. Figure it out. And, um, and, and that's amazingly what God does with us. He has a surprising trust to his people that he's entrusting us with the gospel. He's entrusting us with partnering in his kingdom and expansion. And you're thinking, really? You're going to include us in this? You want us to have a part? You're going to, this isn't handing us a chainsaw. This is eternal things here. So I want to show you that. And we're, we're doing our second Sunday kind of as an Easter follow-up. We, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. And then we looked at his instructions and we're doing it in two parts. So We're going to be in Matthew 28 today. Matthew chapter 28, we're looking at the same passage that we looked at last week, but with uh, a different side of it. So keep, if you look there, if you turn there, if there's Bibles in front of you, you've brought your Bible, you got your digital Bible, you're going to want to stay in Matthew 28 today. Keep a thumb or a finger in there or one of these ribbons, but we're going to go back and forth. But this is our, our home base here. Matthew 28, verse 18. And this is where we we were last week. It says, uh, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we focused on that last week, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. He reigns over all. He rules over all. And I want us to see, uh, go back, just a little review from last week, and see this authority and then what that means for us. So, like I said, we're going we're gonna to follow this, picking it up from last week. Keep Matthew 28, but I want us to go back to Daniel 7. It's Daniel chapter 7. And um, to look at this, this issue of all authority that's been given to Jesus, and then look at the trust that he has with it. So we saw this last week. I won't go into all of it, but there was this scene in heaven where God gives this authority to the Son of Man. And Jesus is saying, I have all authority. I want us to go back to Daniel 7, verse 13, and see where he is given that authority and then what's going to happen with that. 
So Jesus is raised from the dead, and he says, All authority has been given to me. And this comes from a vision in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, a human one, right? And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So he comes right to God the Father. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this was a vision in Daniel that, that the Son of Man would be given an eternal dominion. And Jesus called himself the Son of Man, and when Jesus is raised from the dead, he says, I'm that one. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, what happens is he has this eternal kingdom. And this passage in Daniel 7 was setting up this eternal kingdom against earthly kingdoms that would fall. But if you go all the way down to Daniel 7, verse 27, it tells us something more about this eternal kingdom that he has. Daniel 7, 27 says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people of the saints. Of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So we have Jesus saying, I have an eternal kingdom. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I have that. My kingdom reigns forever. And guess what? He's not going to be in it by himself. And he says, There's going to, The king has been given to the people, to the saints. It's going to be filled with people. And, and all, did you notice it said, and all dominions will serve him. Plural. All kingdoms, all dominions, all bow to Jesus, and the kingdom is given to the saints. He fills it with people. Well, where do they come from? How do they get in there? Go back to Matthew. He said, Matthew chapter 8, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples. He's not handing you a chainsaw. He's handing us the opportunity to fill his eternal kingdom with people. Like, really? You're going to trust me with that? Some of you couldn't find your car keys or your phone this morning. <laughs> right? Like, well, you're going to help people get into the kingdom. Well, I can't even get to church. But he's like, I'm giving it to you. I'm gonna, I want you to do it. I'm entrusting this to you. To, that you're going to make disciples. This eternal kingdom that's been given to me, that's going to go on forever, it's going to be filled with people, and you're going to help me do it. You're going to make disciples. It's a trust. So don't lose Matthew 28, but jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want us to see that he uses the word trust. I'm entrusting something to you. I'm entrusting it to you. 2 Corinthians 5 17. 2 Corinthians 5 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Boy, that's the best news ever, right there. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you just have new information, new religion. It means you're a new creature. God does something new to you. But then he says, verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God has a plan to reconcile the world to himself, forgive their sins through Christ, fill his kingdom. He's like, oh yeah, and you're going to tell people that. I'm entrusting the message of it to you. I'm giving you not a chainsaw. I'm giving you the news that you can be reconciled to God. And I have an eternal kingdom that I'm going to reign over forever. And all the kingdoms of the earth will fail. Mine goes on forever. And I'm going to give that kingdom to the saints, to the holy ones, God's people. And you're going to help it happen. That's a big trust, isn't it? Isn't it shocking? Like, have you seen us? You know my thoughts. You know how troubled I could be. You want me to have the message of reconciliation? Yes. Yes. You're going to do it. So here's our point today. Uh, It's with Jesus' authority, which we saw, we really focused on that last week. Jesus' authority and his presence, he said, I'm going to be with you always. You're not on your own. With his authority and presence, go make disciple makers. Go make disciple makers. And we're going to come up to why do I call it disciple makers? So this is, last week was all about Jesus reigning forever and he's over all. And he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fill my kingdom. I want you to make disciple makers. I want this to repeat. So again, we're keeping our finger in um, Matthew chapter 28 today. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's actually a command, an imperative. You could add the words must. You must go and you must make disciples. Okay, it's, that's what a command means. You must do this. This is what I'm telling you to do. And when I was thinking about it this week, this thought came to my head. This is what God's always been about. He's always wanted this. This isn't just some new idea. Keep in Matthew 28. Go all the way to the beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, the very first part of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. We see the same Instinct, the same thing God's doing. And Genesis chapter 1 is the story of God creating the whole earth. And we have, you know, it starts as a dark, watery ball and then goes through, you know, day by day, creating light and dark and creating atmosphere, creating the stars and the sun and the land. I'm not getting this in the right order, but everything, working his way down, land, plants, animals. You get all the way down to the sixth day and we get people. Look at Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. His first command on earth was to be fruitful and multiply. For some reason, uh, God wanted more of them, right? He wanted more. Like, don't you know they have sticky fingers and they make a mess? Yeah, I just want a whole lot more of those, right? His initial instinct was, his initial command was to multiply. He made people and then he said, I want a whole lot more of those. Multiply. And then he says, I'm going to share my rulership with you. It's his earth. He made it. And he says, I want you to have dominion. I want you to rule. I want you to reign. I want you to steward. I want you to work with the earth. Right from the get-go, God said, I want a whole bunch more of you, and I want you to have a part in this. It's always been his plan to have a part in this. 
If you jump over one page to Genesis 2.15, Genesis 2 kind of zooms in on the, the very specific details of the creations of humans, and it said God made a garden for him. The Garden of Eden, beautiful plants, trees, rivers, gold, all this is beautiful garden. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to lay in the shade and eat grapes, to work it and keep it. So he didn't make a garden and say, you're going to be a spoiled brat, and I'm just going to let you lay there all day. He's like, I want you to work. I want you to make it flourish. I want you to prune things and harvest things. And this is pre-fall. No weeds. Some of you spent yesterday dealing with weeds. Thanks a lot, Adam, right? I pull another blackberry out. But the plan all along was for humans to have a part in what God was doing. So I want a whole lot more of you. I want to share dominion with you. I want you to rule over the earth. I want you to work it and keep it. Sin comes in and things get messed up and things get broken and there's this whole long plan and rebellion. But the vision in Daniel 7, God says, my kingdom's still going to reign and it's still going to be full of people. And when Jesus comes and says, now all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, I have the same command, make disciples, be fruitful, multiply, take the message of reconciliation. I want a lot more of you and I want you to be part of doing it. He's entrusting that to us. And for some reason, God wants a giant human family. You might like small families and small gatherings, but you don't get to decide because it's his kingdom. He wants a whole lot of you. He wants a whole lot of us, and he wants us to do it. So we get this joy of working with him under his authority, with his presence to expand his kingdom. For some reason, he likes to work with us, and he wants a lot of us. So back into Matthew 28... He says to go and make disciples. Go get a whole lot more of you in there. Well, what is a disciple? If we're supposed to make them and get them, what are them? So a disciple, just the basic definition means a learner, a student, learning skills under instruction to learn by experience. And maybe the best English word is an apprentice. An apprentice, that's probably our best English word. So it means you're working with someone and under someone to learn how to know and do everything they know and do. Luke 6.40 says, uh, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So we know this in our trades, right? If you want to become an electrician and you work for three years under an electrician, by the end, you should be an electrician right? That's the whole idea, right? So you spend that time or whatever the number is learning to do it. And the goal is that you will be like them. And so that's the same with uh, becoming a disciple is that we spend time with Jesus and with Jesus' people. And the goal is to become like him, to be his apprentices. Now, we don't mean become like him and that, well, do I get a kingdom and I have authority and I reign forever? No, 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 no. Not the exalted Jesus part. We want to become like the Jesus who lived the perfect life on earth that we couldn't live. We want to emulate his life. How did Jesus pray? How did he obey the Father? How did he serve people? How did he spend his time? We want to learn how did we live this life of Jesus? How do we disciple? And so we really apprentice to him by being with him. And some of you are going, well, that's great. He's not here, right? Haven't you read Acts, Pastor? He goes up to heaven. Okay, I'm aware. But... 
He leaves us his spirit. He leaves us his spirit. This is the key that we have the spirit of Jesus so that we can still be with him. Flip over to John chapter 14. He's thinking, if we're going to apprentice to Jesus, means we have to spend time with Jesus. How do we do that? John chapter 14 gives us one passage. There's lots of them like this. John chapter 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So part of our life of apprenticing to Jesus is spending as much focus as we can on the spirit of Jesus who's given to his followers. And the spirit of Jesus guides and directs and teaches you, and the spirit of Jesus awakens this word that the spirit of Jesus also inspired to be written. And so we're not alone. We want to spend time getting to know Jesus through his spirit that is in us, through the word that he's left us, and through getting around other followers of Jesus who are trying to do the same thing. Maybe they're further down the road than you. And that's our goal, to make apprentices, to make disciples who spend time with Jesus with the goal of becoming like Jesus. So that's our task. That's our task. Back in Matthew 18, he says, I have this huge kingdom that's going to go on forever, and I want a whole lot of people in there, and I want you to do it, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to make more and more people who will apprentice their life to me and become like me, who will then go have other people, and it goes on and on. So just look at the rest of this command here. Go make disciples of all the nations. This is where we get our word ethnic, every ethnic group. The kingdom of God is the most inclusive place there ever will be. Every nation, every ethnic group, every dialect, every people group, God wants there. And I think the healing of any kind of racial tension is the gospel. The gospel is what we need because Jesus already has a vision for every nation to be represented there. So as we share the gospel, this brings healing. This brings people say, we want you and God wants you. And so this has all the power we need as we share the gospel. And the beauty is all the nations are coming to our land. I have many nations that live right on my street. I don't know if you have nations all around you. I do. I think we have India. We have the Philippines. Probably some others. I'm not remembering. But there's at least three on my street right there. And if you get invited over, it makes for very delicious food, by the way. But anyways, the nations are right here. So we went all nations, and then what do we do with them? We baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We had a couple of these on Easter. It was so exciting. The baptism, when we take someone to point them to Jesus, and they trust him, and they say, I want to do that. You see how it's a naming ceremony? You're going to baptize them in the name of the triune God, the name of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's on you. You're in that name. You're in him. There's, some, there's just nothing more amazing than that. Right? We live in a world where people have no identity. The, the story that's told to them is that you're just somewhere down in millions and millions of evolutionary line and cells divided and multiplied and became you and you're going to be more cells. No, no, no. Created by God, redeemed by God, and he puts his name on you and then he wants you to work in his kingdom and then he wants you to be with him forever to rule in it. Like, whoa, and this naming ceremony, part of it. 
So that's a pretty exciting step when Jesus is saying, go do that. I want all the nations there. I want to put my name on them because they're going to be in my kingdom forever. So how do, we, how do we make these apprentices? We've got the spirit of Jesus. But here's how it tells us to do it. You see it in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe. So when you have an apprentice, you're teaching them to observe uh, observe in English means a little bit like I look at something from far, right? I look at that monument, I'm observing it. But it's the word really to keep it, to guard it. It really is the idea that I'm going to keep it in the sense I'm going to put this into practice. I'm going to keep doing it, keep focused on it. It's really the idea to get what Jesus said, not just into our head, but into our life. He doesn't say teaching them to know everything I've told you, teaching them to keep it, to observe it to obey it, to do it. So we want to not just teach people how to know theological answers. We want to teach people how to live it out. Keep your finger there. Go all the way back to second, or 1 John 2. It's almost to the end of your Bible. If you hit Revelation, you went just a tad far. Come back a couple pages. But we see this same word, keep, spelled out a little bit for us. 1 John 2, verse 3. 1 John 2, verse 3. He says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Same word. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So you see, there's some tests in there. You can say, I know him. You might know about him. But when you really know him, there's this keeping or walking. That word walk even means to live. That we're going to put it into practice. So the goal isn't to know lots of information. The goal is to keep it, to do it, to walk in it. Now, don't read that and think, oh, no, I didn't keep it perfectly. I'm out. We're not saved by our keeping. We're not saved by obeying the commandments. We're saved by Jesus, and he makes us a new creature, and then we begin to want to live it out. And when we mess up, we confess our sin, and we get going again. We don't quit. We don't give up. But the goal is the life of Jesus is I want to keep following him, keep obeying him, keep walking the walk. And so the goal of making a disciple or making his apprentice is teaching people how to do that. So you come alongside a new person, they're all excited, and they've trusted Jesus, and they say, okay, I'm going to teach you what to do with this thing. Here, start here. Read this many sections. This is what I do. And you just start to show them. I might take a note here, and they go, oh, that's how you do that. And they might say, well, how do I pray? And well, let me tell you. And you say, let me tell you how I pray. And you tell them how to pray. And so there's this immediate that you just show people. This is what you do. This is how we follow Jesus. This is how you are at work. This is how you handle finances. This is how we serve. And you just begin to teach people how to follow him, how to obey what he says, not only in your mind, but actually how to do it. So it's teaching to observe. Now, the amazing thing about this, going back to Matthew, there's an immediate feedback loop in there. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, which means the command to go and make disciples, right? If all we're teaching people to obey all that Jesus commanded, that includes the command that he just said in verse 19. He commanded them to go make disciples, and I want you to teach people to 
obey all my commandments, which means to go make more disciples, which is why we use the phrase a disciple maker. So the goal isn't just to teach some disciples and it's stopped. The goal is to teach a disciple who will immediately obey Jesus' commands to teach another disciple, who will immediately obey Jesus' commands to teach another disciple. And you don't have to have it all down. You don't have to think, I I have to go to church five years and then I can talk to somebody. Or "I, I have to study for 10 years and then I can share my faith. You can meet Christ in the morning and share that with somebody in the evening. Like, hey, I met Jesus and this is what happened. You immediately have the message of reconciliation. They might say, well, what do I do now? I say, I don't know. I'm going to go back and ask that other guy that told me. Right? You don't have to know all the answers, but you can know one answer. You can, someone teach you how to pray, and you can go teach somebody else how to pray. I don't know how to do anything else, but I learned this one thing. And so there's this immediate feedback loop that we immediately want to make disciples who obey all Jesus' commands, including the command to go and make more disciples. Because for some reason, God wants a whole lot of us in his kingdom, and for some reason, he wants to use us to do it. And this is how he said to do it. Go make disciple makers. Teach them to obey. Teach them to make more disciple makers because this thing's going to go to all nations and that kingdom that goes on forever is going to be really full of people. But it'll be huge. We won't be crowded. Don't worry. Don't worry. So I want to put this into some uh, practical application for us to see how is this happening. And the organization that to me is most inspiring to me and doing amazing work in making disciples around the world is the Timothy Initiative. We've had David Nelms here to speak with us a couple years ago. He sent us a video last year. But a a current initiative they're working on that we're supporting as a church is called A Church in Every Village, or ACHIEVE is the acronym. So they're specifically targeting India and Nepal, which those two countries have just, I think, the largest bulk of population. I think they've passed China. If not, they're very soon to. And so their goal, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how many villages are in India, but it's got to be a lot. Their goal is that there is a church in every village. Now, don't think this structure, right? Don't think big wooden structure with sound equipment. Think eight believers in somebody's dining room. Think six believers in a break room. Think 20 people in a park. Okay, it's a group of people that has come together, they've met Jesus, they're being discipled by a trainer, they're functioning as a church, and then they send people to the next village. So the Timothy Initiative, along with seven other agencies, is actually mapping every village in India. And they're finding out, are there any believers there at all? If there's none, they give them one mark. If there's believers but no church, then it gets another mark. If there's believers and a church, then it gets another mark. So then they can target okay, we need to get some believers in that village who will then start a church and then they'll send one to that village and on and on it goes. So we're supporting them. 300 bucks a month will raise up one church planner who will plant a church and send one next door. So this is their stats so far. I think they've been doing this a year or not even. Uh, 8,989 churches have been planted. Can you believe that, that, that number doesn't compute in my head? Like, Really? And that short of time, again, it's micro churches is what they call it. It's just amazing. And that represents 114,126 new disciples, new apprentices of Jesus. It's just amazing. And they're very strict in their counting. Like they actually have people go, and if they don't see these churches and disciples, they don't count them. 
They're very, they don't want to throw amazing numbers back to the U.S. So to me, this is one of the most amazing expansions of the gospel. I've been around 300 bucks a month, plants one of those. They have a million-dollar match. So every time you send $300, it's doubled up to a million bucks. Isn't that amazing? I don't know who's like, oh, I'll just write that million-dollar check for you. It wasn't me. But so it's double giving. So if you, we're giving to them as a church, but if something's stirring in your heart, I can't recommend an organization to give to more than the Timothy Initiative. So here's the great thing. It's not just India, Nepal. It's here. They're training people to do this in the U.S., to make disciples, who make disciples, who then apprentice other people, and they grow, and then they make disciples, and, and these things are happening here. There's churches starting in people's living rooms, backyards, coffee shops. And so we've been doing it. We've run a couple training centers now. I'm on training center number three. Those of you in my early ones, we were experimenting and tripping forward, and you were just so patient with me. But we're on to three, and it's starting to take hold. And so I wanted to have one of our, our disciples in there, Crystal, come talk to us about it. So Crystal's been a part of the training. Let's give her a hand. That's scary to come up here. So Crystal, and she wore her Chicago Bears mask, which she knew she, I couldn't stop her because it's on camera and at church. So <laughs> you're out of the class. No, anyway, um, tell us. Tell us. you wouldn't let me in the church. Yeah, we're going to burn that one. So um, tell us what was happening. In, what's God been doing in your life over the last year or so? Well, a little over a year ago, I was not following God's path, and there was a lot of sin in my life, and um, God spoke to me and told me, cut it out. And how is that, how'd that go? <laughs> it, went, it went well so far. I started reading my Bible more. I cut, cut a lot of sin out of my life. It took a lot of work, but, and also I joined Pastor Ryan's um, training group, which really helped. Now, what made you want to get in on this? Well, one Sunday when you announced it, I thought, hmm, a, a class to teach me how to lead people to Christ. That sounds really interesting. All right. So tell us some of the things you've learned in this class. Uh, I have learned how to tell my testimony in a three-minute condensed um, section I've learned how to tell God's story in three minutes in a diagram. I've also learned an effective prayer life, effective um, devotional life. I've also learned how to do a discovery Bible study very effectively. How has it felt in your life? How do you feel about who you are in this? I feel useful that um, God is using me in lots of ways where before I sat on my couch and didn't do anything with my life and that um, I had no meaning. Wow. And now I feel like I'm going somewhere and God is taking me somewhere. Wow. Now tell us about one of the Discovery Bible studies you're doing. Well, we've just been doing one at the, the, the... at the pond, at Sunset Pond. I'm also doing a discovery Bible study with a Mormon friend where I've done about a month and a half worth of discovery Bible studies with her where I'm just 
going through the, the, the scripture with her and the questions and answering questions with her and hoping that it leads her to Christ and away from the Mormon religion. Awesome. So is it hard? Could anybody, is it hard? It's as easy as reading your Bible and reading a simple card that tells you what questions, if you can read a question that says, how does this, how does this affect people? Or how does this affect God? Or just simple questions. Or how do you like this passage? They're just simple questions. It's very simple. So I want you to hear, Crystal, that you've been doing a great job. We're proud of you as a church and just looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. So thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to it, too. Awesome. So here's some uh, ways we can respond today. Um, We want to be about Jesus' mission under his authority, with his presence. We want to make disciple makers. So response could be, you're watching this, you're hearing this, you're going, I'm not sure I am a disciple. I'm not sure I am a new creature in Christ. And you want to talk more about that. We'll have some guys up front that pray and talk with you after the service. If you're at home, there's a place on our website. Scroll down on the homepage, respond, and you can click on that and say, I would like someone to call me or, or email me or reach out to me. Maybe you're saying, I haven't had the naming ceremony. I've not been baptized. I want to be baptized. I want to have, be in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Talk to me today. Click the link on the website. Or maybe you want to get going and being trained to be a disciple maker. Or you will learn the things Crystal's talking about. Or you'll reach people. Might start a discovery Bible study. They begin to come to faith. You begin to train them. And they go and they go. And we see the same thing here. So those are some ways you can respond. Or just simply say, God, what are you wanting me to do? How do you, what are you entrusting me with? Who do you want me to talk to this week? Who do you want me to pray for in all the places I'm sending you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work you're doing in India, Nepal, around the world. And Lord, we know we we want you to do it here in the U.S. Lord, we see so much unrest and violence and anger and fear and uh, things look bad. And we are asking for a, a tidal wave of your spirit to blow through our nation, for revival to hit, for disciples to be made that would make more disciples. Lord, we just know you can do it. The tide can come in. So we're praying for that to happen. Use us in response. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.